Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. to everyone today. This feels very special to me. It's like we're, I feel like it's the early church. We're out of the temple. We're in a hidden place. There's food being cooked. That was the context of much of the worship in the early church. In fact, they did communion services around a table during a meal. And so this feels very apostolic to me. And so I'm grateful for that. Or I should say New Testament. So Elaine and I were in uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes not that long ago on vacation. And while we were there, of course, we were trying to make the trek through the sand all the way to the beach. I didn't think I made it or couldn't make it, and I didn't make it. But on the way, there was a young family there who was stopping to take that perfect photograph with their perfect children with the perfect clothing, and everyone matched, and everything looked awesome, and it was going to be on Instagram, and it was going to go viral, and the mother was sure of it, and the father was sure of it. The kids were not so sure of it. The kids did not and would not cooperate. They were probably, I don't know, a year old and three years old, two kids. And as much as they wanted them to hold still and to quit squirming and to stop wrinkling your clothes, they just would not. They kept jumping. They kept running. They were falling in the sand. Then you got to knock the sand off on and so on and so forth. And it made me think of times in my life when my parents were trying to wrangle us kids to make that perfect memory. You know, we're so obsessed these days with images on the internet, on social media, the way things look, perception. In fact, we hear stories now and again of people doing dramatically dangerous things and some even falling to their death to get that amazing selfie uh, hanging out the side of a train, going over a cliff or something and so on and so forth. So we often spend much time seeking to make and ingrain the perfect memory. I would tell my mom sometimes when she was trying to take pictures, I'd say, Mom, I'm trying to live the life, live the memory, not necessarily make it. Will you stop? Will you stop? As much effort we place on making memories of this world, it pales in comparison to the importance of making memories in God's Word. God's Word. So I want you to ask yourself, do I make more of a fuss over what over God's creation versus over the Creator. Over what one of God's creatures might have said to me or over what the Creator has said to me in His Word. Do I make memories of God's Word as much as I insist on making the perfect memory here? Now, I'm not just suggesting that we simply memorize God's Word, as important that is, and this is good, and that's, uh, but it needs to go deeper. We need to remember God's Word in our hearts, not just in our heads. We need to receive God's Word As I read it, is it to me? Am I receiving this to me? And we allow it to change us. So today we're going to talk about how it is essential. And kids, this is important for you to hear this. Students, young people, old people, everybody, pastor included, that we hear God's word regularly, humbly, expectantly, and in community. 
This is the picture that we're going to see portrayed as we open our word to Deuteronomy 31 verses 9 through 13. You see, our hearts are inclined away from God's word and God's will even after we are saved. Our sin nature never goes away. And our tendency to want to do what we want always goes with us as long as we walk on this earth. We need to understand this and our need for grace to receive his word, to allow it to go deeply and penetrate deeply into our hearts if we expect our lives to look anything like what we really hoped. Blessed according to God's standards and avoiding all of the pitfalls that seem to be everywhere on this path. Everywhere. So to understand this passage, I hope you've turned there if you have your word. Moses is giving the law to Israel immediately before the entrance into the promised land. So this is in the book of Deuteronomy. For those of you who don't know, does anyone know what Deuteronomy means in Greek? Second law, okay? Deutero, second in Greek, namas law in Greek, the giving of the second, the second giving of the law. So the first time was in the book of Exodus. God pulls them out of Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai. They are given the first giving of the law. Moses tells them exactly what God said on that mountain. We know it didn't go exactly as planned. They were supposed to be there three, four weeks. Instead, they ended up being there for 40 years. So there was a new generation of people getting ready to go into the promised land. And so just on the other side of the Jordan, before they enter into Canaan, Moses gathers them around and he delivers the law for a second time. And so look at me, look with me to verse 9. We're in 9 through 13. Again, Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 13. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the son of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place where he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So the first principle from this we need to understand is we need to hear God's word regularly. This seems like a very basic statement. I mean, we come every week and hopefully many of us are in our devotionals every day looking at God's word every day. But when do we need to hear God's word? Well, according to this, it's once every seven years. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? How does that make sense? I can barely get into God's word once every seven days. That's not true. But once every seven days, let alone seven years. So how do we understand this? Context is important. Now, we need to understand that they're about to go into the land of Canaan. They do not have Bibles like we have Bibles. Okay, this is God's word written on scrolls of animal skin. There was probably only one at the time. Yet we are inundated with Bibles. Everywhere we look, we can find a Bible. A Bible is not only the most published book in the history of the world, it's also, thankfully, the most stolen book in the history of the world. We have more Bibles available to us and more of God's Word available to us in the world than we ever have ever. And it's so sad to me that despite this complete feast 
that's available to us, we often struggle to eat of it. We often struggle to be in it. The Jews at this time were largely illiterate. They could not read. They required the work of a scribe, a Levite of a priest, to deliver to them exactly what God's word was saying. So if you couldn't read, and you had just seen, or your parents had seen, you being delivered from the land of Egypt, through the Exodus, through 40 years in the desert, and now you are going to be read God's law again, you'd pay attention. You'd pay attention. You'd say, I'm not going to hear this all the time. I need to listen. I need to understand this. I need to let this sink deep into my heart. I need to memorize this so that when I leave, I will not forget what God has said. Here it says that it should happen during the year of release. What is that? Well, God commands to gather during this time every seven years, and at seven years, all debts would be released. That when there would be this accruing of debt for people, that it would be start over. People who bought land, it would be released. It would be sort of like, for those of you who know the year of Jubilee, every 50 years in the Bible, this is like a mini Jubilee, okay? I was thinking when I was preparing this message about... um, There were times when I would ground my kids and I'd say, get right and you can get ungrounded. And then they'd just do another thing and I'd say, oh, that extended it. Get right and we'll take, and they'd do it again. Pretty soon they owed me like 40 years of grounding or something like that, right? I think that's what happens in our lives generally, especially our spiritual life. Sometimes we just need a reset. Sometimes we just need to start, and that's what the Lord has said during this time, giving of the law. Every seven years during the time of release, when debts were reset, that was the time to hear God's gracious word to us again. You see, we need times of reset, sort of spiritual do-overs as much as we do financial ones. I think of bankruptcy, this same idea, right? Left to ourselves apart from God's word, we would all file for spiritual bankruptcy. There comes a time where we begin accruing spiritual debt, as it were. Because our minds and our hearts are a lot like sieves. You know, we can fill it with God's word, but over time it leaks. Over time we become empty, and we need to be restored again. I believe that the blindness that we once lived in prior to our salvation, the sort of blinders that were over our eyes, and God by his grace removed for us so we could see reality and truth as it is, That blindness might have been healed for the moment, but I think over time, it actually comes back. It's a progressive spiritual illness. God gives us a moment of remission where we get to see everything as it is. That's the moment of our conversion. That's the time when we become grafted into the family of God. But without that spiritual maintenance, without taking our spiritual medicine, that blindness slowly begins to come back. Reality begins to look a little bit different. Our lives and the perspective on our problems change over time. God's word is the medicine we need to keep our spiritual blindness at bay. The more we look to it, the more we receive it, the more we live it, the more we see reality as it is. If we look at this every seven years they come, there's something of a spiritual cycle. It's kind of like breathing. In that inspiration part, in the inspiring part, we are bringing in God's truth. We are understanding what it means to live according to God's will, and we're bringing that into ourselves. And then over the course of that seven years, we're living it, and it's coming out, and it's getting weaker, and it's getting weaker. I believe that many of us are blue in the face and wonder why life feels lifeless. 
It's because we're not breathing in God's truth. We're not receiving from his word. We're not getting new perspective and fresh truth on our lives. It's like we're trying to live a spiritual life without spiritual oxygen. We need to be in God's word regularly and allow it to make memories in our hearts and our minds that will influence our mind and attitudes even years later. Parents, grandparents, take note on this. When we speak God's truth over our children and our grandchildren, it will take root and over time, who knows when it's needed, it will come out. But we need to do it a lot. If worse saves, if we tend to lose God's truth as adults who have lived lives of hardship, if we as parents know what life is like apart from God's word, know that we need to be in it all the time to keep ourselves fresh, alive, and, and, and clear-eyed, imagine how much we need to speak it to our kids. Imagine how much we need to encourage our children to be reading. Imagine how much we need to be encouraging them to see their own lives and their own problems because they have them through the lens of the scripture. Our children need to hear what God says as much, if not more, than what we say. <laughs> we do a lot of talking. One time Calvin and I were in a conversation. I said, you can't do that, dude. I'm the pastor. I walked away and Lane said, that's not what you say. I said, what do you mean? He says, we're Christians. There's a difference, right? A lot of times we want our children and grandkids to behave a certain way because we want them to have a good life. We want them to not embarrass themselves, or maybe we don't want them to embarrass us. But in the end, our focus needs to always be on what does God say? You shouldn't do that, or you should do that, because this is the will of your Father in heaven. This is not necessarily my will. Is your mom or dad? Making God's word important for ourselves as parents and grandparents makes it important for our children. When they see us working through God's word, when they see us spending time in prayer, that does not go unnoticed and that does not not have effect. That does something within them that changes their perspective, telling them what the Bible says and asking them what they think about it. Encourages them to interact. Kids, if you have questions about what you hear in Children's Church Kingdom Kids, if you have questions about what you've read in the Bible or something that somebody has told you, you should ask your parents. You should not be afraid to ask them. And parents, you should not be afraid of those questions either. Because I've learned through life and through the word and understanding the humility that it takes to really hear God's voice is that there is power in the phrase, I don't know. I don't know. Saying, I don't know what that means, or I don't know what the truth is, but let's try to find it together. Does something to a relationship and does something to the heart of children, knowing that mom and dad, while they don't know everything and clearly we're not perfect, know where to find that truth, because we're both following the same Father in God. Bring them into your devotional time. Ooh, that might have been convicting for some of us. That assumes we have one. Say, today I was reading this. What do you think about that? Or maybe this. The Bible says that I should not exasperate you. Do you think I'm doing a good job at that? Right? We need to be in God's word ourselves if we want our kids to understand it regularly. Second point, we need to be in God's word with humility. Humility. This means we hear God's word and acknowledge the inherent authority within it. We don't hear God's word as simply another voice in the cacophony of voices in our life. 
We don't compare it to what Fox News says or NMSNBC or whatever. We look at God's Word first. And everything that we hear gets filtered through it. Because God's Word is the authority in our lives. God's Word is the truth, and we are very easily deceived. In case you haven't known that the Bible calls us sheep, I willingly embrace that moniker because it's true. I've lived a life. We are required, required, if we want to live a life that is clear-eyed and according to God's will, that we put His voice as a voice of authority within our lives. It's possible to read God's Word sing God's word, recite God's memorized word, and not mean or understand one bit of it. One bit of it. But you got to want to hear it. We have to make it important. And the way we make God's word important in our life is through repentance. It's through repentance. You know, this week, speaking personally, this week I... Um, have been dealing with some stuff in my own heart. And every time it pops up, my answer, my response, I feel like what the Lord is telling me to do this week is to say, I repent. That phrase. Every time it comes up, I repent. And I see and feel something God, God doing something in my heart this week. When those intrusive thoughts pop up. When those attitudes that we know we shouldn't have continue to wield their ugly heads when we continue to lash out and say things that we shouldn't be saying, when we continue to prioritize things that God would have us put down the list, perhaps at the bottom or even remove, when we're doing those things, we can see God, we can feel God working in us through our repentance. Lord, I repent. You see, no one is exempt from this. Because I'm the pastor, I stand up here, do not assume that I suddenly have everything figured out. It's dangerous for you and it's dangerous for me. Okay? There are no second-class sheep in the flock. We're all sheep in the flock. All right? Coming to this place of admission in our lives and saying, you know what? Yeah, I deal with some of these things. I interact with some of you. I love each and every one of you, but I have never heard some of you ever say anything about any kind of disobedience, struggles, troubles, anything in your life. I come to church, I'm dressed up, this is what I do, this is how I live, and everything is fine. It's not an authentic life. It's those very issues that God seeks to address through His Word, but it takes humility. It is why our kids, when they watch us, assume there's this dichotomy of life. You act one way at church. How many times as parents have we said, and kids, how many times have you heard, you better be on your best behavior? Because there's this sense of you act one way here, you act another way there. And we do this as adults, do we not? Yes. This lack of authenticity is coming from a place of pride. We need to root this out and be honest about what is really happening. You see, no one is exempt from this repentance and hearing God's word. We saw it in the passage today. Moses commands that the priests, the Levites, the people, everyone from 9 to 90, from king to kid, would stand before and hear God's word. It didn't matter on your social status. Priests and Levites were pretty much the highest of the social classes. They were the most respected, most revered. They came to hear God's word proclaimed. 
Our leaders need to hear God's word. The elders of this church need to hear God's word. I need to hear God's word. Leaders in this church, in the church at large and in the local churches all around, it's so easy to stray because we're not spending enough time in the word of God to hold that tension. Otherwise, we cherry pick what we think is right. And we do this in our lives. Everyone does. Limited time in the Word creates a lopsided view of God and of ministry. Because if I had it my way, I would only open up to see Psalm 23, Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, uh, John 3, for God so loved the world. I'd never spend time in Exodus, Leviticus, Zechariah, right? We need to be everywhere in God's Word. That's the whole counsel of God. God has something to say in every single sentence of his word. We need to be in there humbly trying to figure out what it says and how to apply it to our lives. It didn't matter about age. What's interesting is, is it says the elders and the children. The word children, the most common word for children in this Old Testament is b'nai, sons. So b'nai Israel, sons of Israel. This is an interesting word that's used. It's the word taf. The word taf in this instance comes from another language, actually, but what it means is those unable to walk. It comes from a language of a nomadic people, that as they would wander, there was a specific word for one who could not carry their stuff, one that had to be carried. That means that we come before God to hear his word with those in our lives who cannot walk, those who cannot carry themselves. I'm thinking about age. I love that in our nursery, when we have kids that can barely understand commands in English, we have women and men in there who will be reading them Bible stories, who will be portraying Bible stories. It's not just babysitting. That we know God's word is important to our children from the moment of conception. I believe God's word matters. Matters. It's for everybody, nobody is above God's word. And non-believers, sojourners, those who were in the land, they had to hear God's word as well. There's power in speaking God's word over people who even don't believe it. God says that my word will not go, come back void. It will go out and accomplish exactly what I've intended it to accomplish, either to bring redemption and comfort and truth, or to bring conviction and sometimes, yes, condemnation. Sometimes doubt and disbelief are simply just ignorance of what God has to say. And when we are children of God and our lives are about everything that our Father is about, we should be exuding these truths in our lives. Exuding. But we can't do it unless we're receiving it. Unless we're receiving it. And we receive it with humility. This is especially hard for parents. I mean, I'm in the thick of it right now. We need to acknowledge when we stray from God's word before our kids. Otherwise, they think God's word doesn't really matter. It's not really that important. It's something, yeah, it's an ideal that we'd like to hold to, but in reality, that's not what actually happens. We're actually reinforcing that idea that God's word doesn't matter. So we receive it humbly. Three, we need to hear God's word expectantly, expectantly. Here it says, when they stand before and they hear the word spoken to them, they are to hear it Fear it, fear God behind the word. And then I use this little thing, hear, fear, and steer clear, right? They're to hear God's word, fear the God who spoke it, and steer clear of anything that is contrary to his word. So as to be careful to obey all of his commandments. 
So we need to hear God's word expectantly. What I mean by that is a readiness to obey. Readiness. When we open God's word and, Lord, what is it that you would have me think, feel, and do today? I'm ready. And if I'm not ready, make me ready. And if we're not ready, say, Lord, I'm not ready. We stand before God, we hear his word, and we let it speak to us. The word here and here in this passage is the word, like in a lot of the Old Testament, Shema. It means to not just hear, but to obey. And all of us are acquainted with this. How often do we say, listen to me when we're talking to our kids? We don't mean just hear what I'm saying. We're saying, obey what I've said. Do you hear me? Shema. It's the same idea in Hebrew. So we hear. It says we learn to fear the Lord. This does not happen automatically. This is a process. This takes time. This question about fearing God, I think, needs to be spoken about just really briefly. What does it mean to fear the Lord? The last time I talked about fear of the Lord, someone approached me after the service and said, I was always told that we have nothing to fear. We shouldn't fear God. So what does this mean to fear the Lord? Well, on the one hand, it is allowing God to be God. It is minding God's word. I mean, just think of it in this relational context of parents and children. We ask our children to listen to what we're saying, but we ask them to mind what it is. It's in this context of relationship. It's believing God in his word in both the promise of blessing and also the threat for discipline in times of disobedience. We can't have it both ways. We cannot assume that we can do whatever we want and God in his love not discipline us to want to bring us back. Not about you, but I don't want to be disciplined. Am I afraid of being disciplined by God? Yes. Yes. This is the context of fear that we interact with our loving, gracious Father. 1 John 4, and this is often a verse that's used to sort of counter this argument. 1 John 4 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts away fear. If you read the context of this passage, it says that because Jesus was sent as a sacrifice on our behalf, we no longer have to fear the judgment. Everything that we have done in our lives and will do in our lives has been placed on Christ and atoned for. He died for that. So we needn't fear that. But I don't want to be disciplined in this life is God's loving reaction to my waywardness to bring me back home. Our kids don't want to be disciplined. Kids, do you want to be disciplined? No. No, I know you don't. I can always count on you for a response. Thank you. No, we don't. Same idea. We are children of the Father. His threat of discipline for us is out of love, yet we don't want it. Nor should we want it. Nor should we want it. I think even bigger than that, though, it should be a fearful thing for us to even think about hurting the heart of our Heavenly Father. If we stay focused in the realm of discipline, oh, if I'm disobedient, God's going to discipline me and I'm going to have consequences, we sort of miss the point. Yes, that's true. But we miss the truth that God is our Father and to live life or do things contrary to His will is hurting His heart. And we shouldn't want to do that. We should fear that. This fear of God is learned, and in the end, every single one of us are students, whether you're (laughs) young or old. And finally, to steer clear of sinful practices here, fear, steer clear. We need to be careful, it says, to be careful to obey 
careful to obey. That means we just don't live life any old way and then when we make a mistake, say, it means we get up and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? Lord, in this decision in my life, do you want me to choose A, B, or C? Give me wisdom, Lord. Show me from your truth what it is that I should do. We're inundated with choices, aren't we? Are we inundated with ways that we could go that all seem good in some way? Yet it's God's word that we need to look to to give us perspective and for better understanding. It's so easy to stray in this world and it's so easy to compromise. It's so easy to compromise. When we obey God's word, we have confidence that things will go well with us, not painlessly, but blessedly, that God will bless us. And if we're really honest, many of our biggest problems are self-inflicted. When we want to go our own way, do things our own way by something, we end up suffering the consequences of it. So, all right, finally, number four. Finally, it's like I'm tired of preaching. No, I'm just kidding. Number four. Hear God's word in community. In community. God commanded Moses to command the people to come together, everybody in the nation at the place of his choosing, to hear the law read to them. Read to them. Interestingly enough, that word read also has the meaning to proclaim. So imagine there's the priest, the high priest with God's word, bringing all of Israel, he's elevated up, and he calls out the truth over the people of God. They hear it proclaimed to them, sometimes against them. The same idea is here. We come together as a family so that we proclaim the word, so that whoever's up here, I, else, we to each other, we're proclaiming what God has said. We're declaring it. There's some benefits about hearing God's word in community. The first one's accountability. I don't know how many times I've had to get up and preach a sermon where I had just done the very thing I told you not to do with my family on the way to church that morning or the night before or the week prior or whatever. So when I have to say those things, I know my kids and my wife are sitting in the congregation hearing me say. Sometimes when we're together as a family, in the context of not someone who's preaching, one of you guys who are hearing God's word being preached, it's important for our kids to hear the same things we're hearing. Us old timers know the song by Bing Crosby, Do You Hear What I Hear, right? Sometimes I feel like I preach and I see kids elbowing their parents, like, do you hear that? Do you hear that? We need that. We need that. There should be no confusion about what God's will is in our life according to his word because we've all heard it together. We have accountability and this is good. We need this. There are no lone rangers in Christianity. There are no individuals in Christianity in that sense. We cannot do this alone. We were not made for it. We were not made for it. It does not say every seven years you will get a Bible, go in your closet, read it all, and then come out and check a box, say, yes, I did it. We do it together. Hearing in community creates a sense of healthy pressure to be moving all of us along the same path instead of trying to figure out on our own because we all heard the same commandment. It allows us to ask questions. It allows us to ask each other, what do you think that means? This is something I think that we really need to hear. Young people, don't be afraid to ask your parents or another trusted person in your life about anything, but specifically about what does the Bible mean? And old timers, it's a loving term, old timers, 
Don't be afraid, no matter how long you have been at this church or in any church, to say, I don't get that. Let me tell you about a paradigm that I've seen occurring, okay? Not just here, elsewhere. This is just something I think that's happened. The Bible says the person who speaks little seems wise, okay? So there are people who will hear God's word for years and years and years, not understand sometimes the most basic tenet of it. It's not wrong. It just is. And for fear of coming out and saying, oh, I don't actually get that. In the last 40 years I've sat here, I never said anything, even though you thought I knew what it was, but I don't really know what it is. Let's not do that. This is a place that God has brought us together as a family to be safe and growing together. And in the terms or in the idea of corporate worship and corporate study and all of that, this is why we're here. This is why we are here. I'm learning Spanish right now, and I learned Spanish grammatically, like I could translate it from a book years ago, but I never learned to speak it well, like with any kind of fluency, but specifically hear it. So I can walk up to someone and speak in pretty good Spanish, but then when they speak to me, I'm lost, right? So I'm meeting with this woman and doing lessons. She's in Mexico. I'm here. We're going through basically a Zoom-style thing, and twice a week we're doing lessons. And a several times I've had to say, wait, can you go back and do like level point, like, like Spanish 101 again, week one of 101, because I don't get that. And she's like, how do you not get that? You're like speaking Spanish. How do you not understand it? It's the same idea in our spiritual lives. We come here, we come to Bible study, we do everything. We sh- if the doors are open to the church, we show up, Right? But when some of the most basic ideas of what it means to to believe a certain idea of the Lord, we've missed it along the way. And now we're too afraid to ask because I've been here for so long. I should have this by now. We'll just keep this quiet and hope somebody else asks the question that I need the answer to, right? Don't be afraid to ask questions regardless of how long you've been here. This is why we worship together. All right. Most of us read far too much individuality into our Christianity and the Bible. Way, way too much. Part of this is our Americanism. Being an American, built on the principles that are enshrined in our Constitution and our way of life, that rugged, pioneering, we're going to make it happen kind of attitude. It's made us the most successful nation, depending on how you measure that, the most successful nation on the face of the planet. Maybe ever. But when we read the Word... It is coming from a different perspective in many ways, okay? So part of it is the way we were, our collective memory, right? Second week I've used that. Another part of it is, is our English, is our English. Do you know that the ye's and these and thou's actually make a difference? In the English that we read in our Bible today, you means you. Oh, me? Yeah, you. It would be better if we translated y'all. Because there are a whole bunch of y'alls in the New Testament that are lost when we read in English. You would be surprised about how many y'alls there are in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus tells Peter, tells the whole boat, y'all get out of the boat. Jesus wanted them all to come out onto the water. Yet it was only Peter who came. So we read this in the context, that passage in the context of one person coming out as if Jesus were speaking to Peter. The New Testament is replete, full of 
we's, us's, and y'all's. We're in this together, guys. Next week, we're going to talk about us being the body of Christ. The next seven weeks, we're going to talk about the seven metaphors in the New Testament for the church. What does that mean? I'm probably not going to name them all. Bride, body, building, branches, flock, family, priesthood. We're going to learn what all of that means and how does that apply to GBC. Are we fulfilling the biblical ideals of what a church should be? Well, we're a body. We're an organism. We all are an essential and we all are necessary. I'm going to preach next week's sermon early. I can't do that. Okay. We cannot do this alone. We were not made to do this alone. We were made to do this together. Hearing God's word in corporate fashion like we are today is God's intended will for our lives much of the time. So hear God's word regularly. Hear God's word with humility. Hear God's word expectantly, ready to obey. Lord, what do you have for me today? What do I need to believe? What do I need to do? How do I need to trust you? And hear God's word in community. In community. It's my prayer that that we be standing ready and waiting to hear the words of our Father. Papa. Papa. Jesus called our Father Papa and says that we have the same spirit within us. The spirit that calls out Abba. Daddy. Father. Papa. What do you have for us today as a church? What do you have for us as a family? For me as an individual. Let us be people who live according to all that God has commanded us. And so we avoid the many pitfalls we're watching this world fall into. Again and again. And some of us are doing it as well. May God give us grace. Heart. And strengthen his spirit to do this well. And in Christ's name, let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We're your family. We're your children. We come together, Lord, and we just, we love to be together. We love to worship you together. We love to hear what you have for us together. Lord, give us the heart and the ears to hear and obey. Give us the willingness, Lord, to confess where we don't understand to confess where we've fallen. We pray, Lord, that regularly we would be in your word, that we'd be teaching our children and our grandchildren, that we would be in the word ourselves. Lord, give us the grace to do this. I know that many of us have had fits and starts in the way that we interact with you on a regular basis, but give us a fresh start. Give us a, a year of release, Lord. We pray that today would start something new, maybe, in the lives of this church. That we would hear your word spoken to us and for us as an individual and as a community. We pray, Lord, that you would do this and make Grace Bible Church exactly who you want her to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.